Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to yet another week of talking Atlanta Braves baseball here on Believe in Braves. I am your host, Eric Cole, and first and foremost, I want to say thank you to all the people who pushed the podcast, really got the word out about it last week. It was the first episode that was really kind of a full, true episode discussing the team and kind of enjoying the format together and trying to figure out if that's what we wanted to do going forward. And I was thrilled by the response. I was thrilled by people, you know, really kind of being so really into it. I was thrilled by the response to getting more mailbag questions this week as well. I had a lot of fun recording that episode and I really think I like the format quite a bit so again just thanks to all of you for listening for downloading for spreading the word about the podcast it was again it's I'm really enjoying kind of this solo format it's definitely a little bit strange because I'm used to kind of working with co-hosts and even in sometimes multiple co-hosts in some circumstances so this kind of solo format's a little bit new to me but I do like what it can this podcast can be and that is kind of like an easy way for folks to get caught up on what's going on with the Braves over the past week or so and then taking some mailbag questions from listeners to kind of delve deep do these deeper dives into topics that you listeners are really interested in and again the ver- the variety of the questions i'm really starting to enjoy like i was wor- really worried there was gonna be a lot of when's freddie freeman gonna sign his extension and kind of the same questions over and over again but i'm getting a lot of variety and again that's really something that i appreciate kind of keeping the show fresh kind of keeping me fresh as well to be honest just kind of making me think about things in different ways and that's what the show needs to be and what it sh- it's going to hopefully be about going forward so again i just want to take a little bit of time to say thanks to all of you for all the support of the podcast i hope that each week it continues to grow and that we can continue having fun together uh, we are coming off a really a very decent week for the atlanta braves they went five and three since the last episode drop uh dropped the game against the uh, the red sox right after we recorded that one but then they managed to take three out of four from the the cardinals and then so far they they split a pair of double headers over the weekend leading into today they have a really good chance to really make some hay against the mets Again, this is a pretty decent situation the Braves find themselves in, and one that I frankly didn't expect coming off what has been a kind of a rough stretch where they continually just could not seem to put together a run of success against really anybody, right? So now we have ourselves a situation where the Braves are only four games back against the uh, in back of the Mets, and they have another game against them tonight. Granted, Kyle Wright is starting the game, so there's a lot of who knows what could happen in this particular game, but... The bigger part of the news, though, is that now they're in a three-way tie for second place. They're not kind of alone there, you know, trying to dig their way out of this NL East doldrums because both the Nationals and the Phillies seem to be kind of wanting to make a run, too. The Nationals and Phillies, fortunately, are beating up on each other at the moment, but... There's going to be a lot of competition for this this NL East crown, and nothing's really changed in that regard. No one's really falling off, even though the Braves seem to be surging. So, overall, really nice week for the Braves. But there are some things that I want to talk about. Some are good, some not so good. Uh, we'll start with some of the not so good. And it's regarding manager Brian Snitker and some things that have happened over the course of the past week. Uh, the big, I guess, the big kerfuffle this past week was Snitker's comments regarding Ron Acuna's base running error. Now, I want to go ahead and get this out of the way. It was definitely a mistake. He shouldn't have tried to take t- take that extra base. He ended up getting gunned out, gunned out by at third by a pretty comfortable margin late in the game, where you have Freddie Freeman coming up to bat, handling that in house, or like hey, you know, and pulling him aside, saying, "Hey, look, that was a mistake. You really shouldn't need to do that." And, you know, explaining why, you know, explaining why that type of aggressiveness, you know, like he understands what the the, the idea behind it was, but saying why you can't do that in that particular situation, and. Ronnie was really contrite after the game. He says, yeah, that was a mistake and I shouldn't have tried to do it. But instead what Snicker did was like did everything he could to like throw Ronald under the bus. Was really kind of speaking from a lot of frustration about how the, you know, the season, it seemed like from the how the season has been going, how those games up until that point have been going. And I did not like that very much. 
And I'll tell you why. First and foremost, this team, and particularly Snickers, seems to be more than happy to reap the benefits of Ronald Acuna Jr.'s really what has been aggressive base running all year long. He loves to take extra bases. He scores from he scores from second base on balls that he shouldn't be able to. He scores from first base on balls he shouldn't be able to. And whenever that happens, oh, yeah, well, that's Ronnie. He's just super, he's very aggressive, and he tries to make things happen out there. But as soon as something doesn't go right, and as soon and as soon as there's a chance to throw him under the bus, Snicker and other, even other, in, in, in the past, even other members of the team have been happy to do so. And it's really frustrating for me because it's not consistent, right? This isn't a, a manager that consistently, when a guy makes a mistake, like, will just throw him to the dogs and, you know, really denigrate him, calling him stupid and all this other stuff. When when Dansby makes the, makes mistakes and trying to make make outs late in games on the base paths, you know, hey, he's just being aggressive. He's just trying to make a play there, so I can't fault him for that. When Freddie Freeman makes two plans on, on base running and ends up getting caught out or something like that, doesn't we don't see a, we don't hear a word about it. But when it's Ronnie, a guy who's been pretty much single handedly carrying the offense for long stretches this year, is a guy that gets consistently thrown under the bus. I really don't like it. Again, I don't like the happy to you know. Take take credit for and celebrate the successes when he's that kind of aggressive game player, game make gameplay guy, just that guy who wants to make plays and really try to get this team, give this team energy and give this team ways to get extra runs and extra bases. Happy to take credit for those, but as soon as something goes something goes right, and again, it's just a mistake. It's not anything else other than that. It's not you know like forgetting how many outs there are or not paying attention. It's just you know thought he was just faster and was that more ahead of the play than he was. That's what the mistake was. And in happening in real time, it's a pretty quick quick mistake to make. And he was really quick and contrite about it. Now, it'd be easy to say, well, it's not that big a deal. No one else has said anything about it. But now we have a situation where Ronald Cunha Jr. is like making these, va- these, like, these vague Instagram posts where he has a picture of King Kong looking at a helicopter immediately after the game. We have, a, we have Acuna's family members being particularly mad at Snicker about the whole situation. It's, this is not a healthy situation for this team to be in. They already don't have enough things going right for them to have this sort of unnecessary drama over a mistake that is one that is pretty easy to make. And for a player who's been doing the job almost all year. He's been playing for playing through injuries. You know, he, when he get, gets hurt, he's only out a, a day or two, and he comes right back, and he's really playing hard, trying to give the team energy. And I don't think it's right, considering both how he's performed and how he's treated the team in the past as a guy who's been fairly, you know, team first oriented regarding how how favorable that contract is that he signed, and just kind of how he's re- represented himself as a human being to you know to, to kind of treat him like that in the media. Again, handle it in house. It's a mistake. And I think that with a lot of these situations, whether it be Dansby, whether it be other situations where mistakes are made, uh, pitches not being executed, signs being shaken off when they shouldn't have, things like that, all that stuff gets handled in-house, but they're happy to throw Racuna under the bus because it seems like that that makes good television and kind of gets the, the, the focus off of other situations, which is what we'll get to now. And that's the other Brian Snicker-related situation this week, and that's been the consistent, I would call, mismanagement of this bullpen. Now, let's be clear. The Braves' bullpen, even when the right decisions are made, has not performed the way you're supposed to. When you have the right guy in the right situation, there's still been plenty of examples where they blow a lead and they give up a run, give runs late, and they end up, Braves end up losing a game that they should have won, or that you know a game that should have stayed close ends up becoming a blowout, or just kind of just silly, dumb mistakes that ultimately results in the Braves being less likely to win a game that these relievers have been in. However. Brian Snicker is not managing leverage the way I think it should be managed, and I think that he is evaluating game situations incorrectly in a lot of cases. And I'll get the classic example here is a game that the Braves end up losing handily to the Cardinals. It's the only game that they lost. 
you know, they're down a couple runs. It's not really, ha- you know, they're, but they're playing against Adam Wainwright, who's been pitch- who was pitching pretty well and had been pitching pretty well. And instead of bringing in a reliever, again, not your, not your quote-unquote closer or your top guy, but it seems to me that bringing in, when you have runners on base and you're trying to not, you know, let this get blown wide open and give your offense a chance to make a play later in the game, in a seven-inning game, in the fifth inning, you want to at least give your offense a chance. Instead, what happens is that you bring he brings in one of the worst relievers in Josh Tomlin, gives up a home run to Goldschmidt, and all of a sudden it's a, f- a four-run lead, and then things kind of spiral out of there with, with Newcomb being bad as well. But here's the thing. Let's assume a world where we can buy the argument that that was not a, le- a high-leverage situation, and that Snicker truly thought that that was just a lost cause, and that his primary goal then was, again, the Braves played two doubleheaders back-to-back. So maybe in his mind you think, well, he's just trying to preserve the bullpen because he has three games to play in 24 hours. I don't agree with that. I think that you'd have to win, you have to win the games that are in front of you. But let's just assume that that's what the logic is. Then if you bring in Josh Tomlin, you can pitch him the rest of the game. Again, only a seven-inning game. And what happens? Not only does he not do that, he doesn't leave him in. He brings in two more relievers, one of which is Tyler Matzik, who is a guy that you absolutely should have probably been considering for that situation in the fifth inning. And that didn't happen. He pitches him in a 9-1 game. And now all of a sudden you can't play him that night. It makes it harder to kind of really wrap your head around playing him and, you know, play him in the next doubleheader too, particularly in that first half of the doubleheader. And I had people yelling at me about this. They're like, well, you don't know if Matzik hadn't pitched in a long time. If he doesn't pitch in that game, when is he supposed to? He was suppo- if he was supposed to pitch on that day, when he should have pitched is when the Braves put Tomlin in the game. Then if things go awry, if, you know, Matzik doesn't perform very well and you get further behind, sure, you bring out the guys who, the, the Grant Dayton's, the Sean Newcomb's, the Josh Tomlin's of the world, and kind of mop up garbage time, save your relievers for those latter games. But you give your offense a chance first. You have to win the games that are in front of you. You're four games, five games under 500, and you're letting games, letting situations, again, you only probably had a 15% chance to win that game, but after the decisions that were made, it goes down to, like, single digits, and there's just no way to really work your way out of that. And then on top of that, you lessen your chances of winning later because you have you make a guy who's not available by throwing him in a game where you are for sure not going to win when you're down eight runs, and he's one of your better relievers. It's very, very frustrating, and it's been a consistent pattern with Snicker that if it, he looks at a situation if the game is tied in like the sixth inning or if they're down a run in the sixth inning, he will run their worst reliever out there. And that makes it really hard to lose close, makes it hard to win close games because then all of a sudden you're, you're a close game where you're in it two, down 2-1 two to one and you just need to keep it close and let your offense make a play. This is an offense that's scoring four or five runs a game. And in these close, low-scoring games, all of a sudden three runs get put up on the board and it's a whole lot harder to get to come back. On the plus side, it does seem like Ronald Acuna Jr. seems like he could be getting hot again. Uh, had a couple home runs over the course of the doubleheaders the other day. Uh, has home run over uh, number 100 now, but added another one that has been... And those were both like kind of game-deciding home runs. And even when he's not, you know putting the ball, you know, getting on base, he's still hitting the ball hard. It looks like that we could see another hot streak out of him. Uh, keep an eye on Ozzy Albies as he's been nuts during the month of June. Currently sporting a 144 WRC plus for the month. Uh, should be handily the bet is should be handily the all-star game starter at second base. And he is, again, he's one of those players that's very, very streaky historically. But when he gets hot, he can help carry an offense. And they've needed him to because Austin Riley was on a torrid stretch for two or three weeks there, put himself in the all-star game consideration. Not sure if he's ever going to ultimately get there because there seems to be a lot of name recognition and competition there at third base. It hasn't helped either that he's cooled off considerably from that torrid stretch. 
you know, he's still contributing. He's still getting hits here and there, getting walks here and there. It's not like a total disaster or anything like that where we just have kind of, we have to remember longly about the two or three weeks where he was good one year. But at the same time, definitely not kind of carrying the offense like he used to. Freddie Freeman has looked good, but not great. Again, has been contributing here and there. Still doesn't seem like the same production we're used to seeing from Freddie on a consistent basis. Hopefully he can get turned around here soon. I will say about the pitchers, though. Starters have really been kind of largely doing doing their, their job lately in that they've just been kind of consistently getting deep inning, deep outings, playing really well. We've seen Charlie Morton have some good games. We even had Drew Smiley pitch well. You know, Ian Anderson's had some had good games here and there recently. You can't, considering what that rotation has been through with all the injuries and just, you know, guys kind of having up and down seasons, looks like especially Morton has really kind of turned things around after a mechanical adjustment on the mound. But they're going to have to deal with another obstacle now because... Kyle Wright has had to be called up. Why? Max Freed is currently on the injury list just with a blister. Now, there's a lot of like, speculation about this. I mean, he's Freed has constantly had blister issues since he was in the minor leagues. And, you know, he's had to miss starts here and there in the major leagues and the minor leagues over the course of the years. And there's been some discussion about whether or not the lack of being able to use, like, more sticky substances has made it more likely to get blisters for him. I'm not 100% certain about that. I'm just not sure exactly about the physics of what, what causes his blisters versus kind of what substances he may or may not have been using. Unfortunately, he is going to be out for at least one start. But the start was made retroactive. The, the, the EIL stint, rather, has been made retroactive. So maybe it's just a situation where he only misses one start. Wright does start tonight against the Mets. If the if they can, Braves can get this start and that goes well to where that they can actually make up even more ground against the Mets, that's all the better because, again, they might start getting some guys back, getting some guys healthy again. We still don't know about Tucker Davidson. We you know we have to wait a little while on, on Waskar Enoa. We still don't really know about Soroka, but we'll kind of get to that now, I guess, is that even though we don't really know about Soroka and you're right to be skeptical about it, we did get some good news here, is that, you know, he actually, you know, talked to the media recently and said, look, the, you know, the issue I had to have now the second procedure wasn't that, you know, there was a, another tear in my Achilles or, you know, the repair didn't take or something like that, is that he had kind of a rare complication where his body rejected the sutures. Again, really kind of a strange situation and not one that we see very often in, in this day and age. You know, it's not like there's a lot of, of weird foreign substances being used in, her, in sutures that result in the body rejecting them. But it just caused some inflammation. It looks like the Achilles is healthy. He's just going to have to build up the strength in his calf now in order to be able to kind of start throwing again. There's still a chance we could see him in August or maybe even September. I'm not certain about that, to be sure. But ultimately... It's good news that there's at least a chance that we could see him this year. Uh, other news, uh, Kyle Muller made his debut. He, he debuted in relief. That didn't go so well. It was kind of a last minute. Needed him available for one of those doubleheaders. That's kind of a guy that could pitch. But then did make it made his start and uh, debuted against Jacob deGrom and pitched well. You know, you're going to have a tough time doing anything against Jacob deGrom, if we're just being honest about it, uh, if you're the Atlanta Braves. But he, you know, he kept the, he kept the Braves in it. It was a close game, uh, close game late. Ultimately, you know, what came down to is that Jacob deGrom was on the mound. It had nothing to do with what Mueller did wrong or anything like that. It seemed to pitch, pitch, well for him, pitch well and certainly did well for himself. And the biggest moment was obviously like an eight-pitch walk against deGrom at the plate in your first major league at bat. Love to see it. Keep an eye on Mueller at the plate. You know, obviously we're probably going to have the universal DH uh, next year and beyond in the National League. But the at-bats that he does get this year, he is a much better hitter than you'd think he is. Was a really like high profile power hitting prospect coming out of high school. He can hit the ball hard. Don't you know? There's a there's a chance that he hits one out before he gets before he's relegated strictly to being off the mound and not hitting anymore. Uh, Ty Tice also uh, acquired by the Braves and kept for cash considerations. Uh, 
made a couple appearances down in Gwinnett, and he ended up making his uh, debut for the Braves down in the relief. Pitched pretty well. No big, big issues there. He was a part of those a lot of those roster moves that were made during the two doubleheaders to kind of manage that bullpen and have some fresh arms. And overall, did really, really well. Uh, I do want to kind of go back to this idea of what was going on in the rotation, though, because, again, they've been doing their job. They've been, they've been pitching well. Bullpen, not so much. Uh, they've been the bottom nine in baseball this year. Compared to what the Braves saw out of their bullpen last year, that is a big and drastic difference and probably accounts for, I would say, a bulk of the problems that the Braves had in standings. Is that, you know, when they had a bullpen that was basically bulletproof last year, now they have a, bull, a bullpen that is decidedly not. And the guys that you would normally rely on have not been reliable. And it's gotten worse is that, you know, Chris Martin all of a sudden seemingly has turned into a pumpkin. Again, not going to speculate on whether or not he was using sticky stuff. And now that he can't, he can't throw as well or he's dealing with an injury or whatever. All we know is that he had been one of the best relievers. Then he started pitching poorly and he hasn't pitched since the 15th of June. So now one of your best relievers just isn't even playing right now. And maybe that's just, uh, again, we have no idea what exactly what he's dealing with or what the purpose behind that is. But... It's something worth keeping an eye on because we're seeing a lot of guys who are, you know, between the rules changes and just kind of as the season goes on, you see these little nagging injuries pop up, you know, one or the other or just kind of the good old-fashioned just having a slump. There's a lot of reasons what reasons can account for what we're seeing, but Martin has not been on the mound, and that means it's been a lot more relying on Will Smith, relying on A.J. Minter, relying on Matzik, and in Matzik's case, we haven't seen him in those kind of high-profile situations that we would like to see him in, and in Minter and Will Smith's case, They've been very hit and miss at times. Well, I'll say that as much. Uh, and, and when they miss, it's glorious in the, the kind of the, <laughs> in the downfalls that they can have in some of these late innings. Uh, one last note before we kind of get into a quick, some quick notes about the minors is that I knew that the Braves had not been underperforming defensively. I didn't realize how bad it was. If you look at Fangraph's defensive rating, there are only two teams in all of baseball, that have, and it's the Angels and the Tigers, that have been worse defensively than the Braves. Now, some of that can be explained by, you know, a lot of the changes they've had to have make in the outfield between having to run on Marcelo Zuna out there to begin with and then obviously having a lot of minor league guys now having to kind of fill the roles in here and there and Ronnie kind of the move around positions. But, you know, the infields had their struggles. You know, Austin Riley's issues with errors at third base are pretty well documented. We haven't really seen that kind of defensive ex- excellence from Dansby Swanson this year. You know, Freddie Freeman, the metrics never seem to really like him. Uh, William Contreras has had issues to kind of acclimating himself to that one knee in the dirt stance that catching where it's just resulted in some, you know, more pass balls and issues keeping balls in front of him than he would like. But just kind of to see him that low and to make you think, wow, this team just had just a, a slightly better bullpen. And maybe that, that acquisition of Shane Green, who has not looked good so far since the Braves, he's been brought up to the Braves. Just to think that, like, if there was just better defense and just a just some slight improvements in the bullpen that this team could very easily be in first place right now. I can understand Brave fans' frustrations. I really do. Uh, quick notes about the minor leagues before we get into our mailbag section. Um, Jesse Franklin, as it turns out, is really good, or at least he's having one of those heaters that we're going to remember for a long, long time. And he's been the hottest hitter uh, in the Braves minor leagues by a mile the last few weeks. He's up to seven home runs on the season, and all those have been in the month of June, approaching a 900 OPS after what was a really, really bad start to the season for him. So he was operating at a deficit and has hit so well over the course of the past three-plus weeks that he's, he's, the, has, he's, been, he's been the best hitter in the minors. Full stop for the Braves. Uh, Michael Harris just keeps hitting. Uh, he's still not walking, and that's the one thing that you want to see from him is before he 
kind of gets anointed as kind of like a top flight prospect is just kind of being able to get on base without having to put the ball in play and kind of refining that approach a little bit, working on those pitches on the outside part of the plate and outside not necessarily swinging through those or getting kind of weak contact. You know, it's working out right now. Love the batting average. He's hitting for, you know, bits of power here and there. Would like to see maybe a little bit more of that, but more than anything, just kind of refining that approach at the plate is what we're looking for. Um, Spencer Strider has got his second promotion of the season. He's up to double A already. Made a couple starts at Rome, his most recent one, six innings. He gave up a solo homer on a guy who was just kind of up there hacking. It didn't seem like there was much of a plan at the plate, and he just left the ball a little too flat. That was pretty much the only thing he gave up. Six innings, 12 strikeouts. That fastball and the rise that he gets on it, and especially at the top of the zone, throwing 98, 99 miles an hour, getting great movement, breaking balls, improving. Overall, just really, really something to watch. And I really want to see now that these kind of these veteran guys at AA who are used to seeing some real velocity, how they handle him. Because my hunch is that with the movement he gets and kind of how well he's been commanding that fastball, he's he might not be quite as dominant. You know, you might see him give up some runs here and there, but he could be special. Uh, and I don't know if that necessarily means that down the road he ends up being a reliever, because there's certainly some of that reliever risk with him, with the injury history and you know kind of not necessarily having that third pitch, but. You know, for right now, he's pitching deep in the games, he's holding the velocity deep in the games, and guys can't square him up. So in that particular case, run him out there at starter as long as you can and see what happens. Because that fastball is at least a plus pitch in the major league level. Might be a tick better even than that. So that's pretty much what we got on the minor league side. So now let's get to my favorite part of the show, and that is the mailbag portion. First question, and it's a good one. Can the Braves win a championship with Snit as manager with his tactical deficiencies? My short answer to that question is yes. We've seen guys, guys win championships who are ta- or are tactically deficient. Dave Roberts is not a particularly good tactically like sound decision decision maker in games, and the Dodgers won the World Series. The Brian Snicker outmanaged Dave Roberts in that series. I, you, in that LCS, Braves lose a close one in seven games, largely because it seemed like their players were more gassed than anything else, and that Dodgers team is just really really good. The, Bra- the Snicker isn't going to be something that necessarily keeps the Braves from winning a world championship especially if there's a dh involved because there's just kind of less you know planning around pinch hitters and just kind of some of that decision making is taken out of his hands and you can kind of put a better offensive team on the field and you know these like weird double switches that he does where it ends up where you know the pitcher is hitting sooner than he's supposed to and all that other stuff you know some of that you can just take away and more importantly as frustrated as i can get at snicker in regards to tactical decision making and his explanations after the game that don't jive logically with what the decisions were and what their impacts were on the game and ultimately it's kind of like picking the worst of both or multiple worlds getting to where it ends up what ends up being getting to where you find what the decisions were you know i wanted to preserve the bullpen but it ends up bur- you know burning multiple relievers things like that i can be very frustrated by those things but i also think that the impact that the manager in particular has on the outcome of games is relatively small and it's really the biggest issues the braves have had have come down to execution by their players and that's where they that, that's where their problems are gonna have to come from is just if their players are executing then a lot of the stuff that snicker decisions make ultimately don't matter all that much Next question is someone the Brave system that you, so name someone in the Brave system that you didn't really have on your radar that's making a name for themselves so far. Uh, this is a really fun question. Rodri Munoz was a guy that came to mind. He's really kind of fallen off. He has been dealing with injury issues and hasn't pitched as well lately. But down there in Augusta, it's a really live arm. If he, if he can learn to command things and kind of continually throw hard like that, he's gonna be, he's a really interesting arm. The easy answer is Spencer Strider, simply because as like a fourth round pick in a five round draft. 
as a guy who was probably profiling as a reliever, coming off an injury, hadn't really pitched all that much, I personally had not did not have high expectations for Spencer. And I didn't think that he was going to be a starter. Maybe he starts that way early on, and then the Braves switch into a bullpen role, something like that. Maybe he's a guy who can move relatively quickly through a system after that. And now he looks like a guy who could really be special as a starter if everything goes right. So, you know, in terms of that, yeah, that's a guy that you think of. And then you think of guys like Jared Johnson. You think of guys like Darius Fines. Uh, again, mostly pitchers at the moment. Uh, you know, Jesse Franklin's another guy who, again, you know, picking him in the, basically in the middle of a five-round draft, you think he might be like a relatively good hitter. You know, you put him at high A, hopefully he performs reasonably well, and he's hitting the cover off the ball. Is there like a kind of a crazy story of a guy who like we had never heard of ever and is really performing super-duper well? Not really, but there's guys who we didn't have particularly high expectations for who have been hitting really well. And again, another guy is Drew Lugbauer down there at Mississippi. He's not a guy who I thought would be threatening with a high, like a, a 900 OPS and hitting the ball well and hitting for power considering what we had seen from him in previous years, or at least in recent years. And that's exactly what he's doing down there in Double A. And he looks like he looks like a guy that's similar contributing to what we saw from him when he was down in rookie ball. Just again, a couple names that have been—I wouldn't say they weren't on our radar. We just didn't have particularly high expectations of them. We just haven't seen a lot of those kind of promotions from the promotions from like you know extended and you know from the you know and things and the GCL and things like that to make us think that like you know where'd that guy come from? That'll probably change once the draft happens. But overall, not, not anyone that wasn't on our radar, but definitely guys that you know we didn't have as high expectations for. Um, the next question is, is the current stretch against New York, Cincinnati, and New York, again, the make-or-break stretch for the Braves season? The Braves make-or-break st- stretch is like the rest of the season. Because now you find yourselves in a hole, you're already below 500, and you can't expect the rest of the division just to just play 500 ball the rest of the way. If you want to get to 90 wins now, you're going to have to really kind of put together a strong finish to the season. So it's not just these games. Like, they can have a good stretch here and put themselves in a pretty good spot, especially kind of making up some real ground, getting within a game of the Mets would be ideal. But that they're still going to have to perform. It's not like they all of a sudden they can go, okay, now we're there where they are supposed to be, and then they can kind of, you know, put it in cruise control the rest of the way. The rest of the season is going to be hard. They have to perform and play well the rest of the season to put themselves in a good spot. Full stop. It's not as simple as just, you know, this stretch. I mean, if they have a bad stretch here, then things get really, really difficult, sure. But even if they perform well, that, that, that performance has to continue beyond just these next three series. Uh, the next question is, what's the better huddle run celebration? Panda hugs? Or Donaldson's um, umbrella run? <sighs> Close call here. Uh, I'll say Donaldson just because Donaldson was the one that was actually hitting the home runs. And, you know, every, every time he hit a home run, like, you know, social media would go wild with making it rain and all this other stuff. And it was just, you know, the memes were hysterical. It was just a really fun time to be watching the Braves playing baseball. That said, I do love the Panda Hugs. And it's just, again, I love celebrations like that. Having fun playing the game of baseball, something that fans can enjoy. That's what it's all about is, like, you know, Putting a smile on folks' face and being entertaining. You know, the folks who get bent out of shape for, you know, people making these celebrations or, like, you know, like, just put your head down and do one game at a time. I don't go to baseball games. I don't watch baseball games to watch someone work a 9-to-5. I go to watch baseball games to be entertained. And when guys are entertaining, it's just all the better. Uh, Next question, uh, you know, the obligatory question each week is, how do you see the Freddy situation working out? I... Have answered this a good bit last week, and I'll say this: just the longer that there's not an extension between the Braves and Freddie Freeman, it makes it less and less likely that there is going to be a Fred, uh, extension between Freddie Freeman and the Braves. Full stop. I think that there hasn't been one now. By now, there is something going on. I'm not even saying it's on the Braves side. It might be a decision that Freddie's making. But just the longer that that process plays out, the less and less likely it seems like that there's he is going to be in a Braves uniform next year. And if that's the case, the Braves are gonna have a lot of money, uh, especially if you know Ozuna is suspended or you know out of the league altogether you know, serving jail time, but it's also a situation where this team is significantly worse. 
This is a guy who wins an MVP, has won an MVP, has been in consideration for other MVPs. And if he's not on the team, it's bad news. The Braves need to get the deal done, but there, there certainly does seem to be something going on there. Uh, the next question is, with Contreras performing well in Atlanta and Langlier seemingly look, looking at least passable as a catcher in the minors, do the tr- Braves trade either of them since catching across the league is atrocious and the return could be good? Or do they save both with the DH coming? Uh, the last part is, you know, with the DH coming, a lot of that ultimately is determined by the fate of Marcelo Zuna in the coming weeks and months and the results of investigations and things like that. And, you know, that's kind of harder to kind of engage with in terms of what the long-term future of that position is for the Braves because, you know, they have a guy under contract, but he's also being under police investigation and he's, serving, he's facing very serious charges. But I'm going to kind of reject the premise that Langoliers has been passable at catcher. You know, you know, maybe passable at the plate as a hitter, and he's been good as a hitter. But in terms of defensively, he's the better defensive catcher between Contreras and Langoliers right now. Langoliers is the better one. And that's not knock on Contreras, really. It's just that Langoliers is special defensively behind the plate. Now, would I like for both of them to get more reps, you know, in terms of, you know, calling games and things like that? Sure. That's, that, just with catchers, you just you want to give them time. But I think that the Braves have better pieces, whether it be, you know, kind of dealing from, that, from, from their pitching crop to maybe some other pieces down there in the minor leagues from the outfields or anything like that. But if you're trying to make a big impact trade-wise, I think that that makes more sense to me than necessarily trying to deal from deal Langoliers or Contreras, especially since the failure rate with, with catchers is so high. It's just such a hard position to play and play well. If the Braves miss the playoffs, and assuming they re-sign Freeman, what other offseason moves would you like the Braves to make to get back to the top of the division and be a World Series contender? Well, getting their pitching staff, in particular their bullpen sorted out, is kind of towards the top of the list. I don't necessarily want them to make big, high-profile uh, bullpen acquisitions, but I think that they want to make sure that they're you know, filling that bullpen with guys who they can trust in most situations, if not all of them. Beyond that, if they re-sign Freddie Freeman, which is a big, big if, and again, we don't know exactly what's going on with Marcelo Suna, let's assume a world where he isn't a, fa- isn't a factor in this decision-making. The one decision that I would strongly consider making is non-tendering Dansby Swanson and going after one of those big shortstop free agents this year. That's what I would do. I don't think that Dan, I think Dansby Swanson is fine. I think that he performs well sometimes. I think that he, defensively he is above average. I think that overall he's not a reason necessarily that your 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 team isn't competitive, but he's not bringing enough to the party. And when you have this type of free agent crop available to you, and you can and Dansby's gonna make real money in arbitration this year, this offseason, like a lot. And if that's the case, why not get rid of the guy now that you're going to pay a significant money for and go after a guy who can really help your offense out and maybe really even bring more to the table defensively? I think it's possible. And again, with this, with this free agent class, you're going to have to spend to do it, but you're going to save a chunk of money send, not, not having to pay Dan C. Swanson next year anyway. Uh, next question is, could the Braves consider Kyle Wright in an opener role and how good with how good he seems to do overall the first inning or two through a lineup. I know they won't, but at least it's an interesting idea. I don't think there's any chance that Brian Snicker will use an opener effectively. I think that he, the best that we can hope for ever is a bullpen game in which Kyle Wright is a member of the bullpen. And there might be something to that because at this point, I don't see Kyle Wright having a feature with the Braves as a major league starter. Whatever it has been about his development in terms of like making sure he can stick as a starter and really taking advantage of what has what is good stuff. But I think it's more likely that he ends up, if he's a starter in the major leagues, it's with someone else who kind of makes some adjustments because it's certainly just not happening for him in Atlanta. Next question. If the Braves, for some odd reason, sell at the deadline, who are the top three you could see getting dealt? Question going the other way now. Top three targets the Braves could target when they're in first place in the division at the deadline. They, uh, they need to be targeting... Re- I'll answer the second question first. They need to target reliever arms. 
Um, and beyond that, you just have to wait and see what holes are available in outfield. If Christian Pache is playing really well down in Gwinnett, that's one less outfield spot you have to fill, and maybe Abraham Almonte is still playing well enough that you can make that work. But it's a, yeah, we have to get a little bit closer to that. I mean, Pache is still recovering from an injury. I think what it is clear is that Ender Inciarte is not a guy that should be getting regular at-bats for this team. Uh, Guillermo Heredia, is just, he's a bench guy, he, and he should be one. Abraham Almonte has played well considering the situation that he's in. Uh, and another guy that, you know, if something happens where, you know, Austin goes out or Dansby you know, ends up, you know, really, you know, falling off the plate or something like that, there's also Orlando Arcia sitting there at Gwinnett who's hitting really well too. So, you know, those internal options are ones that are worth monitoring. But beyond that, like, you know, really at the trade deadline, what the Braves need to do is they need to evaluate their bullpen situation first and foremost. I, I'm generally in big favor of that. Beyond that, I just – the trade deadline deals, you, you don't see those big players dealt at the deadline anymore. Uh, and as like, guys that can be dealt, again, in some of these, you know, whether it be these guys on expiring deals, if Drew Smiley is pitching so poorly or something like that, maybe you move him. Um, you know, and again, Charlie Morton's kind of the same way. If they're really far out of it, maybe you move him to a contender. But overall, I don't I don't see the Braves be selling much at the deadline. I think they're going to end up being pretty close to first, if not in first place, and they're going to be buying. Um the Braves seem to be figuring some out, some, some things out of late and are only a few games back in the division. Assuming they keep this pace up and are still in the hunt come trade deadline, what would you like to see them, see them upgrade at? Again, same thing. They need to upgrade the bullpen because there's only so much you can do defensively at this point. You're not going to find like the, like the defensive whiz third baseman that's also going to hit at the trade deadline necessarily. You're not going to find those acquisitions at the trade deadline this year. What you are going to find, though, are relievers on teams that aren't very good and they're trying to sell them to try to get something back for them before they go into full rebuild mode again. That's what they need to do. They just need to fill out some of these bullpen, get rid of some of these, this, this chaff that is currently in the bullpen right now. Um, I, I just don't think that Sean Newcomb has a future as a major league pitcher for the Braves. I don't think that Grant Dayton is particularly good. I don't think Josh Tomlin's particularly good. Those are all pretty easy places where you can go, okay, we need to get some relievers in here that can actually do something for the team as opposed to what they've been running out there on a day, night-to-night basis. Um, that's pretty much it. We've got That's all we've got left for this show. Uh, upcoming schedule, again, Right starts tonight against the Braves in the finale in that series. Could be an important game. Get some, could get them within three games of the Mets. And after that, the Braves have a four-game set against the Reds. And that's a pretty good Reds team uh, with a not-so-great pitching staff, but there's not, that, that's, a, that's a relatively scary offense with Nick, Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker. All those guys have been really per- hitting pretty, pretty well. The Braves pitchers are going to have to be on top of their game to kind of contain that, and hopefully they can put together a nice string against, I, I would say, a pretty good Reds team. Uh, I wouldn't call them great. You want to at least get a split against them. Winning the series is obviously ideal, but you know if you can get a split in that situation, then you know that you probably take that against a team that's pretty good. But you know that offense is a, that, that, that is that is definitely an offense that should scare you as a Braves fan, particularly against our bullpen, which seems to like fall apart late. Really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to the episode this week. Make sure that you are subscribed to the feeds in whatever podcast provider you prefer to use, whether it be iTunes, whether it be Google, Stitcher, whatever you prefer to use. The podcast is on there. Believe, B-L-E-A-V, in Braves. And just go to that. Make sure you go to your feeds. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And make sure you're downloading all the episodes. It helps me out a lot. It helps get the word out, especially kind of getting those numbers up and making sure that, you know, these... Um, the, this podcast is appearing higher in search results. Greatly appreciate you taking time to listen, listening this week. I'm looking forward to doing it next week as we kind of gear slowly start gearing up as the draft starts coming around the corner as well as the All-Star game. So we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E. 
AV on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.